Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I have a returning guest, which is always exciting. So you know her as the tax guru expert strategy conversation that we had before. Jamie O'Kane from Abundant Beans is joining me again. She is a CPA in thinking about giving you confidence when it comes to taxes and accounting and also a startup expert as well in the vet space. So kudos, kudos. I am now. <laughs> she is. Uh, I mean, we love our startups. I think you had some good stories the last time we chatted as well on some cool growth, but yeah, thanks for coming. And today's conversation, I think is going to be more of maybe rapid fire, maybe slow fire questions, and then we'll see what we get into. But yeah, I, I've gotten a number of different questions and wanted to, to run them by you. So how are things in your world? Things are good. We're doing some catch-up life after tax season still, getting ramped up for tax planning season, which happens super soon. We just start planning for our clients, our established clients in August, you know, making sure we're looking at the last six months, planning what's going to happen and making sure we're checking in with everybody. So that's what we're doing. And then we spent a lot of time really talking about the employee return to credit, which is why I was like, hey, can we talk about that? Because I'm just trying to get the, the word out on this benefit for businesses that I really feel like are missing them. And some of the big ones are veterinary fronts. So that's what's going on over here. I was just in Florida for two weeks at my dad's house. I'm happy to be back to my quiet. <laughs> Pretty much it. For those that don't, Subscribe to your podcast, A First Abundant Beans podcast. So go subscribe after listening to this whole episode. All the platforms. Right? You all also the have video. I'm always got that like background envy when I look at your your background. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I'm recording from the co-working space we work out of today, so it's a different environment for me. But <laughs> going into something you just talked on in the initial reach out, let's just dive into the thing that you've kind of highlighted as one of the key important things, which is the ERCs or this employment retention credits. What are they? Why do they matter and how do they affect veterinary medicine? So the ERC is a refundable tax credit. It's a refundable payroll tax credit. There are different amounts for 2020 and 2021, but we're looking at large benefits in qualifying for these credits. I did some kind of informal polling in some of my tax forums just to be like, how much are you filing for? Like, tell me what your small businesses, you know, five to 10 employees are getting. And the average was about 75 grand so far. So that includes 2020 option, filing back 2020 amended returns. We've been doing a bunch of those. And then kind of up through quarter two. But these are available through the end of 2021. And they're still available if we're amending payroll tax returns. So if you feel like you've missed out, it's fine. The IRS is getting a ton of amendments right now. So the benefit is a total benefit of $10,000 per employee for 2020 is the top benefit. And then $7,000 per employee per quarter for 2021. So up to, that's a lot of math, $28,000 per employee potential in 2021. And your eligibility is determined per quarter. So there's a lot of rigmarole and what have you and calculations to get us to this eligibility. But the big thing and the big thing and the big reason we're talking about this is before, because we had all that legislation, right? We had like five or six sets of legislation. So originally these were part of the CARES Act, which gave us PPP loans. You couldn't do both. Most people knew about PPP loans. Most people were getting PPP loans. The legislation that happened in February, I think, of this year allowed people to 
do both. You can't use the same payroll, but you can get PPP loans and also potentially qualify for the ERC credits. So we're looking at clients that had PPP loans in 2020 and seeing if maybe that also qualified for the ERC. We just can't use the same payrolls. There's also some rigmarole around those and making sure that we're doing proper forgiveness applications for the PPP loans to allocate as much as we can each credit or each potential option. So as the PPP loan is like free money, like there was non-taxable, you get to take the expenses. These do reduce your payroll expenses for the year. So they're technically taxable. I'm putting that in quotes because that's not really how this works. They're an add back. But I would like the free money and I would happily pay the tax on part of it to get the rest of it. (laughs) This is a lot. This is a huge benefit. I have a client sitting on almost a hundred grand in credits. And I think their total ended up being like 150 grand through Q2 2021. This is cash to expand their business with. And I'm excited for them because they're like, we got things, we got ideas. (laughs) It's free money, guys. It's an amazing credit if we can get people eligible and calculated. So so it's a credit. You talked about them expanding. So this is money they can tap into. They get it back. They spend it. I guess kind of walk us through what that looks like. The process looks like determine your eligibility, filing whatever needs to be filed. So for its prior quarters, we're amending to payroll tax returns. Those have to be mailed If you don't know, the IRS is massively behind right now. So we don't know how long it's going to take to get your credits. I can't. There's nothing we can do to track them. They are coming. I know people who have gotten them. I'm tracking this with other practitioners. They are happening. The IRS just has to process the amendments. And then they send you a check and it's yours. It's free dollars. If you have already filed your 2020 tax returns, though, we may also have to amend those for those credits. Because like I said, it's a reduction of expenses. So for 2021... How do they get the ERC credits in? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be eligible, like in your current quarter, you can work with your current payroll person, payroll people to get those properly filed on your 941s, your current 941s. So for third quarter and fourth quarter, if you're going to be eligible, then you can file for them there. There's also a way to file for advanced credits if you know you're going to be eligible. There's a bunch of different ways to be eligible. The big thing that many of people are forgetting or not understanding is that if you had a partial or fully suspended operations due to governmental shutdowns during the pandemic, that qualifies you in itself. The second test is a revenue test. And depending on what year and which quarter you're in and kind of how they're rolling forward, you can also qualify via revenues or drops in revenues. But if my business has grown, like let's say in vet med, you have a lot of people that have had best quarters, best year, like all that stuff. Again, wild how busy veterinary medicine has been. Are they then not eligible for ERC credits? Well, they can qualify under the governmental shutdown. Does everyone qualify under governmental shutdown? No, unfortunately, if you could work from home, you couldn't. We have some businesses that we looked at, like we have some lawyers we looked at, we have some other ones that we've looked at, but they could do court from home or things like that, then no. But the big service industries that we're seeing that are missing this, that might have increases in revenues are restaurants because they might have had less capacity options, but they might have done a killing in takeout. We have a client that did that and qualified for hundreds of thousands of dollars in ERC because they could only do takeout. They couldn't do their in-person dining. They couldn't do any of those. So they had a reduction of operations. For our veterinary and dental, 
a lot of them had to have, they had to space out their appointments. So they had less appointments. They had curbside. My personal dentist had to do appointments farther apart because she had to go change between every single appointment, like fully change. So a reduction in capacity doesn't mean a reduction in revenues. It just means a reduction in capacity here in Colorado. Uh, veterinary had to do curbside. They couldn't do any elective surgeries. So there's a reduction in operations and capacity. So it's pretty interesting. You could have done something else with that capacity. This is definitely more of an ambiguous one, kind of depending on the restaurant one's pretty cut and dried, right? But we have some veterinary we're looking at right now. Like if you didn't do curbside or if you were able to have people in the waiting room, how many more appointments could you have done or what historically have you done? So that really helps us having the knowledge and the understanding to back that up. And then again, the other way we can do that is via revenues. For 2020, you had to have a 50% reduction over the prior quarters. For 2021, it's only 20%. So it's 2021 quarters are those. The big benefit, the 7000 per employee potential and less revenue drop needed. So keeping an eye on all of our clients for those to qualify that way as well. Got it. Thank you for letting me ask the questions that I'm like, I don't know the answer to this. I'm sure most people listening don't know the answer. So <laughs> let's roll the dice and ask. Yeah, no, I think it's so important. I mean, there's two reasons a lot of them got missed. One, they got PPP loans and they weren't originally, these credits weren't available. And two, their practitioners just don't know about it. They don't understand how these work or the business doesn't know how they work and they haven't worked with their payroll company. So those are the big reasons. Qualifying people under that governmental shutdown is a little more ambiguous. But it's also the IRS is being very generous with these credits based on what we're seeing. We're still waiting for legislation. We're still waiting for some guidance from the IRS. So we're just doing the best we can with the info we have. And honestly, you know, generally we try to be conservative with the lawyers that could do court from home. I'm not giving them the ERC, <laughs> you know, but, but our in-person service providers, it's in-person or it's not a usually, or it's just a little bit of telehealth at this point. All right, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire, just off the wall questions that I've collected or seen in various different social media things. First one, why do bonuses get taxed differently than ordinary income? So if I'm a, a young veterinarian and I am getting a bigger bonus, isn't there a bigger chunk that gets taken out? And should they try to get the bonus in a different way where it would just be more through wages? Thoughts on that? So there is a bonus I honestly don't know the answer. There's a bonus withholding amount that can be applied. But the thing is, is generally what happens with the bonuses is added to your salary in that pay period, which puts you up into another withholding category. Does that make sense? So that's generally why that happens. But there's also like a bonus withholding like default. And it depends on your employer. Most employers will have an opt out option where you can say, no, I don't want my bonuses. I know I might be, I have to pay more taxes potentially on that. So that's why I think I don't do a ton of payroll stuff other than ERC now. <laughs> um, no, again, these are the rapid fire random ones. It's, I think there's young vets that are getting, hey, here's a sign on bonus. It's a big number. That's great. But then you get like, oh, well, my tax took a huge chunk. Like I thought I was getting a 50K bonus. And that's not what I'm kidding. So the way the withholding tables work, it's based on the pay for that period. So they just basically assume that that's what you get paid forever. So if you get paid, you know, Trump level salaries, then you're going to get paid Trump level taxes just on that particular withholding. That's how the tables work. 
do you have any general percentage recommendations for someone to withhold when increasing their hourly rate and they're going from, I'm an associate somewhere and I'm going to go turn into a 1099 relief vet to understand how to account for those tax differences? Is there any good rules of thumb, things to think through? It's kind of a loaded question, but... And it's a loaded question and you know I'm going to use my patented, it depends. I am an accountant. So I have to say it depends, but generally we say 25 to 40% is what should be held out of your gross, but that depends on your effective tax rates. But you are going to pay yourself employment taxes, so that's 15%, 15 point something. And then depending on what your effective rate is, up to what your effective tax rate is for federal and state, it usually adds up to that 25 to 40. And what does your spouse income look like? What do your deductions look like? Every tax return has its own special snowflake. So that's a case by case, but I like that 25 to 40. So at a minimum, at least 25. If you're living in yeah. California, probably a little bit more, maybe New York a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> Indiana, so. Indiana, not as much, maybe. Yeah. If you, have a, you know, if you live in a high income area, you have a ton of taxable income or that doesn't include your salary. You're going to be paying more and get to pay both sides of your, the FICA and Medicare. So yeah, it just depends. Minimum 25 if you're the only income earner and you don't have any deductions or it's just you live in a low income area, you're probably fine with 25. Those higher cost of living, you're probably going to be looking at that 40. For those that are doing their own relief business, when should they have a business entity? Is it immediately or when they start making a certain dollar amount? Thoughts on that? So a business entity, I, I'm not sure what that means. Does it mean incorporate? So if we're incorporating most states, that means an LLC or a corporation of some type. Most people will, will establish an LLC and because it's just cheap to. There's some states you don't want to do that in, like California, because you're going to pay a minimum $800 a year tax on that. It honestly depends on what you're doing. If you're driving around a ton or if you have a higher liability, then yeah, maybe create an LLC. But usually you're not going to pick a taxable entity like a corporation or convert to an S corporation until you can at least meet your salary. And that's usually for most of us in that 95 thousand plus range as your net income. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act made S-Corps less tax efficient, depending on your tax rates. But if you're not up over that 25 to 30%, it really doesn't make sense to create an S-Corporation, which is awesome. It's way less costs and compliance. But this whole, I need an S-Corporation thing, you know, this is one of my soapboxes. We create S-Corps all the time when they make sense, but they don't makes sense all the time, especially for our one person shops, usually. So. It seems like everyone's always trying to find hidden tax tips, tricks. You see Facebook ads, you see TikTok videos, cringy things, thoughts. I know the S-Corp thing is a bugaboo, but other things that you see that are like, yeah, that's just bad advice <laughs> or this is challenging. Okay. So first I'm going to plug my buddy, Duke. It's Duke Loves Taxes. He's on TikTok. If you're going to follow somebody on TikTok, follow my buddy Duke because he's actually gives proper advice and he's super funny. I love him. So let's talk deductions. <laughs> An LLC doesn't mean you get to deduct anything that anybody else gets to. An S Corp doesn't mean you get to deduct anything that anybody else gets to. You don't get to just throw all your personal expenses under something because you've created some kind of entity. That's not how this works. Expenses have to be necessary and ordinary. So if you're a veterinarian and you're doing relief work or you have 
whatever. It has to be something that other veterinarians spend money on and has to be necessary to run your business. So a Mercedes to take you from the clinic to home is not ordinary nor necessary because you already have an office. You don't really get to deduct that. It's a personal expense because you're commuting, right? Unless we can establish a home office, which we probably will help you do. But think about if this is an ordinary expense that other people spend, other people in your industry spend, and is it a necessary expense? So creating an entity or whatever doesn't help anybody. The worst offenders of this is our lovely MLMs (laughs) and their top lines. (laughs) But I can deduct my entire house and my car and everything. No, you can't. It has to be used exclusively for business. So that's how we do home offices. That's how we do business or how we do vehicles. Got to track all that to make sure it's necessary, ordinary, and actually makes sense. So the vehicle one is interesting as far as like a lot of people want to try to run things through the business and the vehicle is a natural one that, hey, it's an expense that they maybe have. And if it's over a certain weight, it can help with section 179, right? And then if I'm dropping off mail on the way to work or if I'm stopping to do other things, like are these things I should not be doing, should be doing, can you justify it? So vehicles are one of my shorter soapboxes. Here's the deal. There are very particular rules on how you use a vehicle, I think for a lot of reasons. But if you're going to buy, I actually had somebody ask me if we should do this. He was going to buy a vehicle on December 30th, park it on December 31st. We're going to take the entire Section 179 on it in that year. Okay, well, what happens the next year's? And it's not used 100% for business use. He gets to take that all as income every year. It's called 179 recapture. (laughs) And it's subject to capital gains tax. Vehicle accounting and tax, like if you go under what your original percentage of business use is, you have to recapture all that depreciation. And it's all capital gains. Just have the business reimburse you for your actual business miles. It makes more sense. It's easier to track. In the long run, it's more of a benefit because we're not dealing with having to sell the vehicle at some point and having it to be a commercial vehicle with huge insurance and vehicle stuff is not something you mess with unless this is what you do. If you have a mobile vet service and you have fleet vehicles, let's take the vehicle. Let's take the vehicles. They're 100% business use. We make sure that your employees aren't driving them for personal. Then we'll take the 179. We'll take those deductions. But if you're just using your vehicle, really, I say for anything other than 90%, business use, it doesn't make any sense to deal with the rigmarole and the tax recapture on it. it. Just doesn't. Best app, best way to track miles that you found successful? Huge fan. Got it. Well, I did use it when I actually drove places. I don't yeah. do that anymore. Back when he used to drive. <laughs> so this is less of a question, but more of something that will probably haunt your dreams of a conversation that I had yesterday. This was non-veterinarian, but you know my interest in the world of crypto which I always say it's Bitcoin, not crypto. So again, but this particular individual has done a lot in all kinds of what I would call altcoins is the nice term. Shit coins is the real term, but that's okay. She told me at the end of this conversation, oh, by the way, I didn't pay taxes on any of this stuff last year. I was like, oh, that's not good (laughs) for someone that maybe has done this. And I don't know if this would be anyone in the audience. If I don't pay taxes on something like that, how do I fix it? 
what should I be doing? Anytime there is something that was done wrong with the return or mistakes made, we're kind of looking at what is our risk or reward, right? Is it material? What's the tax on it? What would our penalties be? And then the client gets to decide. I have a client that just emailed me yesterday that something happened with their HSA contribution. It didn't happen. Now we have to go amend the return and take the HSA contribution off. It's material for them. However, with crypto, that's one of those big items the IRS is looking at right now. I highly recommend you go back in the room and the returns. Get it done right. Don't let them figure it out because at some point they might and they're going to be real mad. I believe crypto, I mean, you and I have talked about crypto before, but they're treating it like stocks. They're treating it like investments. And I think they're asking for you to check the box on the return whether you sold, acquired, used, had crypto, and then you sign that return under penalties of perjury. That's not a mistake. That's leaving something off on purpose. So I would go amend the returns and get that done properly, just because as I believe will probably potentially be a listed transaction, we want to make sure that we're disclosing that stuff properly. Yeah. And Again, to protect the individual, which is no one, no, like, again, they would never listen to this anyways. It was just an interesting conversation. But can you talk a little bit about statute of limitations? Because it's what, five years that they have to catch these things? Or what is that? And I'm, again, I'm not trying to put in this one. I know, it's here. so funny because <laughs> I don't do a lot of resolutions. So I, yeah. honestly, I don't do representation. We, I like to do for future stuff. You know me, I'm all, I'm all about yeah, like, yeah. what can we do in the future? And we're doing ERC for clients because it affects their future, right? I don't do a whole lot of representation, but I believe it's three years to go back. But the IRS can open up any year. But if you like, if you don't have returns filed for three years back, that's what they generally want to see. So I believe it's three years. Don't quote me on that. Again, that's not really generally what I do. Maybe for all yeah. That. And this is not advice to lie and do things and then say, hey, well, three years can't get me. So no, again, because for the they, conversation here, yeah, they can open it back up. So if you haven't properly disclosed your crypto for the last three years and they figure that out, they can open back years. So and going back to what you said earlier about the investment piece, so taxing it like investments, so short term, long term capital gains. So everyone, it is either your ordinary income rates or zero, 15 or 20. And then you got to add net investment income, like all these other things mm-hmm. and where you're and then our NII and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, I knew I would miss some. So um, now the there, NII, there's all extra stuff. Net investment yeah, income. That's yeah. three point, it's 3.8%, y'all. Yeah. It's yeah. no big deal, usually. Yeah. So those are things to certainly be aware of. Don't do that stuff. Just don't trade it. This is the secret trading advice that I'm going to give you. You buy Bitcoin, you hold it for 10 years, and then let's come talk. And then when hey, you I see me that. at an event, when you, <laughs> when you see me at an event in the future, if I'm coming and speaking, you can buy me a beer and say thank you. And That's I haven't it. checked it. I That's bought cool. that like $100 worth and I haven't checked it <laughs> um, since our last conversation. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I love it. But with all of that, I knew that I said to bring that up because it was a conversation I had yesterday and it was a very long conversation about a lot of stuff. And at the end it was like, oh, by the way, and I'm like, <laughs> so it'll be an adventure with that one. Look, I think. y'all, all this compliance stuff is changing really rapid fire right now, especially with all this legislation. And honestly, the IRS has a lot of catching up to do, but that doesn't mean they won't. They are spending a lot of time and energy trying to hire auditors right now. We have had a lot of changes. And if there's something else wrong with your return, they're going to look at the whole thing probably. So I don't know. I'm one of those people that is just like compliance is usually better than non-compliance. It will come and bite you in the ass, I believe, eventually. Again, they're so far behind, though. So who knows? But 
that's one of their hot buttons. So I wouldn't mess with crypto. Ounce of prevention better than a pound of cure. I think that is a wonderful suggestion. I just don't think there's, I mean, tax evasion, there's so many things we can do with tax planning. Tax evasion is a lot more work. (laughs) Quite honestly, like we can plan to your lowest potential rate and we can be compliant within those. There's a lot of options. So I just honestly, I think evasion is just lazy. It is. And last thing I'll touch on this, because I know for the majority of people listening, they probably own zero crypto anyways, which is totally okay. Again, it's Bitcoin, not crypto. Buy Bitcoin. Don't buy it. I did. I bought, I, bought, I bought. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know you're good. I'm talking to all the people with <laughs> the, the AirPods in or in the vehicle. Because I emailed you and I was like, okay, where do I buy it? What do I do? How does this work? But one of the things you can do is, so if you bought some and let's say you FOMO'd in at some point and then it drops, you can sell it and take a loss mm-hmm. and you could buy it back the very next second and reset because there's no wash sale rule in crypto, which is different than if I had Apple stock. So if I had Apple stock and I sure bought it, I didn't know that. I am. I am fairly certain. And you can correct me. I will not edit this I'm out. I'm going to go check wrong. it. I will own it. I will own it. There's a really good guy that I follow on Twitter that does a lot of crypto taxes and he speaks a lot. So I've heard him speak and seen his presentations, but yeah, the wash sale rule is, does not apply at all which is pretty cool. I was cool. reading something about that the other day. So there's my fun and probably only tax knowledge in this podcast. Jamie has the rest of the good stuff. You can like sell your Bitcoin and then turn around and buy more Bitcoin. It doesn't have to be Correct. separate. Hmm. I'm going to go check that because that's interesting. Yep. We don't have, I mean, we've got clients, but it's just still usually they yeah. have as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be that impactful for a lot of folks, but it can be if you said, hey, this is going to be a larger allocation. Mm-hmm. And again, the key thing is, if you do it and you're like, oh, instant regret, or mm-hmm. I made a mistake, or this was more yeah. than I wanted, at least take the tax loss and then reset to something that's better. At least get a little comfort. And maybe we need that. a loss. Maybe it's a good place to loss harvest. Yeah, could be. I have not ever taken advantage of it because I'm like, hey, this is long term. I'm not going to worry about it just personally. Because it's an investment. It's a longer term thing. And the fact of just tracking it and all that other stuff with the way that I've done it. But enough about that because I know a lot of people are probably like, oh, move on to the next thing. I wanted to ask you just kind of a, as we round out our conversation, a topic that maybe you've talked about a lot lately that you feel like, wow, I'm surprised that this is getting brought up as much. Is there anything top of mind that you feel like needs to be addressed? Honestly, a lot of it is about virtual. I'm doing some presentations on boundaries around virtual firms. And that's some of the stuff that's been top of mind for me. It's kind of that time of year where everybody is coming home from vacation because everybody went on vacation this year. And they're looking at potentially virtual jobs or virtual businesses because so many of those were created over the last 18 months. I know this doesn't really apply to our niche, but it does some because I know a lot of them are also working in telehealth. But having proper boundaries around your time and energy is a huge topic in our industry. It's a huge topic in veterinary. I mean, even if you have to be in person, but I just feel like the virtual environment allows for more boundary crashing in time and energy because of the lack of physical boundaries. So that's something I've been talking about a lot just within my industry and making sure that you understand how client communication works. You're streamlining that. You're not allowing people to get you in every single potential platform. Text message, Facebook messages, Instagram messages. I mean, there's just so many places that people can send things to and try to grab you. But just having really good boundaries around your time and energy is really the big thing I've been talking to people about just because virtual work is different. It's a different 
I don't really like work-life balance, work-life synergy. Somebody said work-life blend today. (laughs) And I was like, so instead of the teeter-totter, we're now in a blender, which I like. I mean, I think that most of us who have worked virtually really do understand that it's there's lots of blurred lines between work and personal live. So that's one of the big things that I like to talk about. And honestly, it's something that's applicable really to all service industries at this point. We know about the stuff going on in veterinary with the high suicide rates, which is not cool at all. And I think a lot of that is culture, but also lack of boundaries or understanding where boundaries might need to be made. I know we've talked about that with a couple folks. Jackie Horner, I know, talked about that. Dr. Jackie Horner in Atlanta has done a really good job at, at talking about that. And that's a really good episode. I think it's in the, I'm going to say high 60s. It's going to be my guess. I don't know for sure, but you can just go and search for Jackie. That's no, a great I love episode. it. It's just so important. And I think as we, a lot of us have kids, a lot of veterinarians are my age with middle school age kids. And we're dealing with all of our late Gen X, early millennials. And School starts in two weeks and we're all redoing our routines and trying to figure out, you know, how do we work and what do we need and how do we work best? And, but also how do we create cultures where people want to work that really let people choose how they work best? I know that doesn't always work in an in-person service model, but how do we optimize for letting our employees do the same thing and have boundaries and understand that their job is to do their job and do their work and let people be people? So that's big. It just feels like a big topic right now. Every time I turn around, somebody's talking about boundaries or asking about boundaries and things like that. So I just think it's so important, especially if you're a startup or, you know, your practitioner deciding to go on your own, like a relief vet, just really having really established boundaries around your time, your energy, what you will and won't accept, things like that. I mean, that just really leads to a really happy place to be for you or your staff as well. So this big topic coming up right now, especially we're watching all these kids go back to school now. <laughs> How is it time already? I don't know. Yeah, I know my wife is gearing up to go back to in person and she's getting ready to do a lot of that next week. Ending up, last thing, you have a shareable for ERC credits. Is that correct? You're going to give that out. I can share it to people. You're going to post it somewhere. Yeah. Sweet. It's a link to our Free website. Money. Free money. It's people. a link to our website. And it's a spreadsheet. It's a very simplified version of what we use over here to actually calculate it to the penny. But people can input whatever input their info, see if they might qualify. And then it comes, yes, there's an email sequence. Not ever, Nothing's actually for you guys. It's called good marketing. We've talked about that before. <laughs> email marketing <laughs> is important. Yeah, there's only five emails. They're all about ERC. And then at the end is an offer for us to help you with it. We can do an analysis for you, see what you might qualify. And then we can do the filings for you on the back end. So that's the fun. I mean, honestly, that's the fun stuff because we're watching. I mean, I have a client who qualified in first quarter for like 20 grand and he only has like three employees. (laughs) This is free money. If I qualified, I'd be taking it too. So for sure. Yeah, it'll be linked. Go to it. Check it out. Get some emails. If you subscribe to good newsletters or you get email sequences that are good, if you get crappy ones, you'll know they're crappy. But if you get good ones, um, take note to that and think, hmm, how can I take this into my business and duplicate some of the efforts that someone else has spent time, money, and energy on and and do a similar thing with my client base? I get really bad veterinary emails for a pet that I no longer have from a town that I haven't lived in for over 12 years, but I still get them and I get them like once a quarter and they're not great, but it's all right. It's rural, small town Indiana. 
I just I haven't I subscribed. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's it's a whole other story. My favorite <laughs> is when my podcast guests just add me to theirs. I'm like, I didn't oh, should I, did I miss that? that? Should I have just, should I have been adding you? Darn, I missed out. <laughs> I was That's like, what I, Jamie. I mean, I love y'all and thank you, but also no, <laughs> unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. With the ERC, it's just more info about the ERC and a link to our, to our offer. Do it or don't do it. I don't care. I just, I'm trying to get the info out there. See if you qual- you might be eligible because we want the stuff done. I don't, and one of our clients was like, well, my payroll company will do the filings for me. And I was like, I don't care. I just want this benefit to go in the proper hands. Yeah. If the money is there, go get it and put it to good use. Exactly. Cool. Thanks for coming on. I always appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. You will, I'm sure, come back another time. We'll chat more. So we'll do a party when Bitcoin hits six figures and we'll come back and just chat and riff on it. (laughs) I'll be like, wow, I have $600 now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just reminded me I need to go add more Bitcoin. See, for anyone that stuck around and listened to all that discussion, you're getting the ERC email. So remember, it pays to <laughs> listen to the end. Thank you all for listening. This has been a ton of fun. We're just basically just laughing at each other as we do this. But this is great. And I really, really appreciate it and look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.